amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It's Wednesday, March 11th. The eyes of March have begun. I declare they have begun. And it's going to be St. Patrick's Day in a few days. If you've been in the stores, you see all kinds of stuff about St. Patrick's Day. And I don't know about you. I think we all need a break. We could do with something else to focus on, right? So I wonder what St. Patrick's Day is going to look like this year in light of the coronavirus. Have you all thought about that? I mean, are people going to go out and get stone cold drunk on St. Patrick's Day? Because make no doubt about it, people are going to start celebrating St. Patrick's Day from Thursday night straight through to Wednesday. It's Tuesday next week, right? The 17th, right? And they're going to have fun. And they're not going to care about the coronavirus. They're going to drink themselves into a stupor this weekend. And some of them might land themselves in the hospital, hopefully not in a ditch, but in the hospital. And people are going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. And you know what the rest of us are going to say? Beat onto you according to your faith. That's what you believe you need to do. Well, far be from the rest of us to tell you otherwise, just do it responsibly. We're all trying to cope with the idea that we could have, hey, welcome to Periscope and welcome to Twitter and to Down to Earth, right? And far be from us to uh, most of us are dealing with the issues of, of time right now. I mean, we find ourselves in, a, in this mix of a coronavirus that we were watching it take place in other countries and now it's here. Right here in the state of Michigan, they finally announced yesterday, are you ready for this one, that there are two confirmed cases of coronavirus in Michigan, in southeast Michigan, in the areas where I live, in in metro Detroit, one in Livonia, right, and one in Oakland County, right? People who had traveled overseas or who had taken domestic flights, right? I, I get this. The state of Michigan has quarantined 471 people since January 31st. We didn't even know that. They currently have 124 people whom they're awaiting test results on in the state of Michigan. We learned that last night while we were sleeping. You know, I like to say while we were sleeping, this is what was going on, right? So when I saw that, I was like, I guess it's time to... Make sure I have food. I mean, I may, I have enough, uh, you know, hand sanitizers and stuff like that. And I had to remind myself that there are some things that I have always done. I've always used Lysol in my house, spray down the coats and so on during winter and spring, right? I've always done stuff like that. Everybody uses wet wipes, right, disinfecting wipes. And everybody uses hand sanitizers. I keep hand sanitizers in all my purses, in all my coat pockets. I keep hand sanitizer in my car. So when you touch the gas tank, you know, when you're pumping gas, I keep hand sanitizer. I'm one of those persons who pull up at an ATM and use a hand, you know, use a wet wipe to wipe it off. Yeah? Yeah. 
So most of us have been doing this for some time, but I have found that people don't wash their hands. I don't know about you, but when I come from off the street, I wash my hands. I leave my coats in one place, take my boots off. My boots and my outdoor shoes I wear outside, those things don't go in my bedroom. They don't even make it past my kitchen. They don't go to, they don't get to the kitchen. They, there's a, sp- a space where you enter the house. This is where you enter and you drop your shoes there and you drop your coats there. And then the coats are sprayed with Lysol before they're stored in the coat closet. So the scarves and the hats and the gloves, they get sprayed. <laughs> I have always done that, right? I, I have found that people don't use bleach. Don't you clean your bathroom with bleach cleaner? I do. I clean, clean my bathroom with bleach cleaner. I spray the faucets in the kitchen. I keep spray bleach in the kitchen, so I spray the cutting boards and the faucets. We all do that, right? Okay. But what I have found, the one common thing, we don't wash our hands. And I can't believe in 2020 we're actually telling folks, wash your hands. So people are buying out all these soaps, but wash our hands, right? We have to wash our hands more frequently than we believe. And you have to observe certain hygiene tendencies. I can't say it enough. If you have a dog in your home and your dog is your pet, if you take the dog for a walk, you know, you do know that your dog stops and sniffs garbage cans and stops and sniffs piles of stuff and sniff at trees and, and sniff at the dirt. Then you're going to walk the dog back into your house, onto your carpets, onto your rugs. The dog doesn't wipe his feet on the rug. Show me a dog who does that, right? And so you're going to kiss the dog who's just smelling everything out there. you got to be careful of stuff like that. You leave your house during the day. The dog is at home. The dog, you, you do realize your dog knows how to lift up the toilet bowl when he really wants some water. And for some reason, dogs love drinking out of the toilet bowls. And you're all laughing, but it's true. Just turn your camera on and see what your pets do when you're gone. You do know they jump in your bed and go under your covers like they're you. They mimic what they see you do, right? So they see you do something with the toilet. They're not exactly sure, but they say, well, there's always water in that bowl when you come home. We need to be more careful, right? We need to just practice some of these things because this is getting out of hand, right? It's getting out of hand. We got to be careful. 18 people died in a in a in a nursing home in Washington State. That is unfortunate, and I fear that our our parents and grandparents and great aunts and uncles are going to pay the price because for some reason this virus seems to prey on older older folks who's have, who have underlying health conditions or pre-existing health conditions. So even if you have young, younger children in your home who have long-term illnesses, you need to be more careful. And for those folks who, for instance, somebody is on chemo treatment, you, you have to wash your hands. You cannot underestimate. When my mom was on chemo treatment, I refused to have people come in to visit, didn't want anyone to touch her, wash your hands constantly. We need to practice these things and keep them at the forefront of mind, right? So when we learned that in Michigan, I guess we all just went, we were hoping it wouldn't happen in Michigan, but what do you know? It happened. It happened. So it has come to Michigan, right? Right. Uh, and we announced yesterday that the city of Detroit is resuming water to over 65,000 
residents whose water had been turned off due to shut-off notices. Like Syria says, this is a third-world country. You're going to shut water off on people. Unbelievable. So they, they're turning the water back on because you need what? You need people to do what? Wash their hands, right? And then, of course, yesterday was another Super Tuesday event and turned out to be really Super Tuesday for a man named Joe, right? Joe Biden won convincingly, and he won the most, the most coveted state, the much coveted state of Michigan, right? He won that convincingly, so he now has all the Michigan delegates to add to his total. So I think eventually what you're going to see is Bernie Sanders is going to capitulate by the end of the week. He's going to give in, and he's going to unite everybody behind Biden. Watch and see. That's, that's going to happen. So I suspect that that's what's going moving forward because he only won one state last night, North Dakota. Biden took them all, right? So eventually Bernie is going to say, you know what, let's just all gather around the fire. We'll be sailing into the Democratic nomination in just a few months, right? And I tell you, the establishment in Michigan, the Democratic establishment in Michigan could not be happier. They looked like they were simply preening. This is how they looked. <laughs> they were simply preening. They could not be happy. And this was me watching. Like, seriously, are you worried about the coronavirus? Do you have the money? Do you have the resources? So I'm just saying, for the first time since this began, I began to become aware that while I may not get it, and my household will not get it, but what if they do say, don't leave your house? That's the thing. So it's not so much about hoarding anything. It's that, what if they actually tell you you can't leave your house? What are you going to do? Right? Right. So that's what we're all going to do. Okay? So today is Wednesday, the 11th of March, and time is moving on and marching on, right? And I want to talk about something that I've wanted to talk about since the beginning of the year but never touched. And that is the job crisis in academia and how uh, people with PhDs getting tenured positions. Uh, Let's explain it like this. For most of us, we understand that for a professor to teach, for a person to teach at college level, a doctoral degree is required, right? And since 1988, there's a New York Times study that shows that since 1988, more people have acquired more PhDs than ever. And colleges and universities are a huge lobby, right? They have a huge lobbying power, and they have the data and the facts. So when they looked at how many people were being born in the 1980s and the early 1990s, they planned accordingly that these folks are going to grow up, and in 18 years, people born in the 1980s, and the people born in the mid, up to the mid-90s, these folks are going to grow up and they're going to go to college. So colleges and universities planned for that fact. So they encourage people to go into the pipeline of securing PhDs, right? Doctorates of philosophy, so you can teach somebody, right? So people taught the humanities, engineering, education, life, arts, and so on. Okay. So people acquired these PhDs, but... The, the colleges, by the, at the same token, were earning money from the revenue from people applying to college. Some more millennials enrolled in college, right? People born in the 1980s to the early and mid-90s, right? So more people enrolled in college, 
And naturally, colleges and universities planned for this, knowing this was happening. And like I said, they have the data to support it, but they got greedy. Colleges and universities stopped paying tenured professors. They were like, well, we can use graduate assistance for this because part of your training as a, in order to obtain your PhD, you know, it takes eight years. And part of your training is to do what? Is to teach so you become a teaching assistant. If you've been to college, you know, most of us know that, right? All right. Uh, so they knew this. So what did they do? They just wouldn't hire more tenured professors. Combined with the fact that a 1994 federal law says that colleges can no longer ask 70-year-old college professors to retire. So you will find a college professor who is 85 and still ticking, still enjoying the benefits of having a tenured uh, a position. Meanwhile, people who are now millennials who have graduated with undergraduate degrees and are pursuing graduate degrees and have acquired such now find that they can't get a tenured position. You know, naturally, when it gets thin, you know who it impacts more? People of color. So naturally, Hispanic students, Hispanic doctoral candidates, black doctoral candidates, and other people of color find it even more increasingly difficult to become a tenured professor at any university. They're more likely an adjunct professor, which means part-time, which means they're contingent, which means they probably don't get a W-2. They get something they have to fill out a W-4, right, and get some kind of payment. And I'm going to read you some, 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 some facts for all of us to bear in mind because it is not fair for people. It is not fair for you to pursue eight years of additional education on top of your undergraduate study. It is not fair to pursue eight years and to be required that in order for you to teach anybody at college level, you should have a doctoral degree and yet you're not paid for it. I know folks who have two doctoral degrees. It sounds like they're incredibly smart, and they are, but then they can't find a job for teaching for nothing. I have one friend who has three doctoral degrees. Yeah. You know she doesn't earn six figures. She earns like 90000 a year, and she works on contract. She has to supplement her income by working as a, as a therapist. I kid you not. She's black. I know a young white woman who just turned 30, who is an adjunct professor at a college here in Michigan, who has only a master's degree. She's working on her PhD, but she's an adjunct professor, and she doesn't teach one class per semester. She has a whole semester, a whole rostrum of people to do so. Again, we're seeing something called implicit bias creeping into academia, preventing people who are qualified from accessing tenure positions. So I'm going to tell you what is a tenure position so we all know. Because these are things that we should know and bear in mind because some of us have family members and friends who have doctoral degrees and they're not earning as much as they should. I, I went to a I'm just going to say this. 
I don't, um, let me just put that out there. So this is not in any way reflective of my own personal biases or opinion, or this is my opinion and observation. Uh, yesterday, I had a meeting with, with some folks, and uh, they're white, and clearly I am who I am. And they they asked, you know, they said, well, I'm glad you came in and on the purpose of the meeting. I said, funding. I'm looking for funding. And she said, Harriet, before you got here, I heard so much about you. I read so much about you. I know that I've met you. I can't believe that I finally get a chance to meet you and touch you as a person. And I said to her, thank you. And she said, I am disappointed that you haven't the funding for what you want to do. She said, frankly, if I could right now, I'd just write you the check for a million dollars until you go do what you want with it. Because you have put your whole life on the line for others whom you don't even know to help others. She said, I would. And she said, I'm just going to, can I just say this? She said, I'm just going to tell you the only reason why you haven't gotten the money is, 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 is racism. Just like that. I shook her head. I love it when people are just forthright and just forward. And then she said, but here's what I'm going to do, though. And I'm like, no, you're talking my language. Right? But do you see what I'm saying? She said, I've been in this town for a number, for too long. I've lived here all my life. This is the only reason why. So when I come to you and I say these things, I'm not reaching or grabbing stuff out of the air or trying to make controversy. This is real life that hits. If I were white, I've written three books. I've published three books. I have been on stages and been in environments with others qualified in terms of areas of study. But because of my experience, right, I have been invited to participate in some of these in some other environments. Now, if I were white, you know where you would see me? You would see me on CNN. I would be an expert. They would call me an expert in the field of human trafficking and an expert in the field of violence against women. Let's just be clear. I would be on CNN. I would be on MSNBC. I would be on every magazine and every face in the nation. The only thing that is preventing me from doing that is a color barrier. Because at the root cause of it, we still have what, I, what is called implicit bias where unknown to us, our conscious mind is busy attributing attributes to me that have nothing to do with me, the person, that do not belong to me, the person, but are simply distributed to me because of my race, my ethnicity. Is it fair? Hell no. Am I going to talk about it? Hell yeah, because it impacts me. I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not one of those persons like you're going to find some people in academia. If they speak out, they don't get anything. Well, that has happened to me. I, I shut my mouth so I could get the funding, and I still didn't get it. So, hell, yeah. We're just going to talk about it. You don't like it? It is what it is. I'm still going to talk. I'm still going to talk about it because until we recognize, until the barrier is broken and the color barriers are torn down, there's not going to be any help for anybody. We, so so in, in academia in particular, most of us, you have kids who have gone to college, they come home and talk about their professor. He's like a dinosaur mom. Like, you know, you have heard your children say that. Anybody heard that? And it makes you, after a while, you start listening. Because you start saying, what the heck? 
because when they were in elementary school and high school, school teachers tend to be the same. I mean, they, they teach, they have the same curriculum, they tend to teach the same things. It's a watch. But then you go to college, and you're like, why this, extreme, this, this extremity, right? And on college campuses in particular, if they don't like it, they don't like it. Here in, in East Lansing, Michigan, the, pro, the, the reason that, why he got away with it is because what? Everybody what? Told the party line. If one person stood out and said, no, he can't do this. Somebody needs to talk about this. That person was fired, attritioned, removed, disgraced, sent into abject poverty. And so nobody spoke out against it until one brave young woman went and became a lawyer and came back and gathered all the evidence to do it. That's academia. And then, of course, when you have that plus implicit bias, you have a boiling keg of nothing but trouble. So let me read you some statistics. Uh, adjunct professors are rarely full-time employed. They're contingent faculty. They're mostly part-time. And check this out. They teach a class or two for only one semester. Are you listening? They teach a class or two for only one semester. Well, how many semesters are in the, the academic year? Isn't it two? So, uh, fall and spring, right? So they teach a class or two. Some colleges call it winter, then they break it up into spring. So it's still the same thing. But they only teach a class or two for one semester. So what are they supposed to do for the remaining semesters? They're trained. They're trained equally, just that they're white counterparts. And listen to this. They're subject to the same educational requirements as their white counterparts. They have low pay, less status, and no job security. And doctoral degrees are no guarantee of employment, so don't even consider it. Long -term, there's been a long-term decline, by the way, in academic job security. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of these professors are over 70, and by law, you can't ask them to retire. Colleges can't ask them to retire. So it's up to them. Are they going to give up their ivory-towered existence? No. Are they going to give up their feeling that they're superior? You, you've been around these folks sometimes, haven't you? And you get the feeling that they think they're intellectually superior to all other humans. And they have all the answers to all the world's problems. And politicians are stupid. Voters are stupid. And, no, and people are stupid. They're the only ones who have all the answers. You've been around Ivory Tower Academia. Yeah. God help me. <laughs> right? And so because they have all the answers, they tend to view themselves as inured from the qualms of life and the storms of life. After all, all they have to do is to write a, a research paper. And they guess what they do? They use their graduate assistants to do that. So if you go to, in most college courses, are taught by who? Graduate assistants. Yeah, the TA, the teacher's assistant. That's who teaches them. Because the professor is too important and too busy. He's doing research to work because he has, in, as part of his tenureship, he has to write a number of papers, right? So he's too important to talk to you. So you end up interacting with the TA more than you interact with the, with, with, um, with the professor himself. Because, dear God, the professor is worse than the president. Have you ever been on a college campus? The college president is more important than the president of the United States or the governor of the state. I kid you not. Trying to get an appointment with a college president, you're crazy. Who are you? 
why, why do you, what do you want? You have a number of layers between you and them. All that stuff, these things, they need to stop. I'm just like appalled at these things. There were 940,000 people who were employed teaching college. 400,000 of those had tenure or were on what we call tenure track. Tenure track meaning they were contingent and they were working to get to become a tenured professor. That was in 1995. That number has doubled. Uh, the University of California at Santa Cruz recently fired 54 graduate assistants who were, you know, graduate assistants. They teach as part of their training, obtaining their PhDs, who were striking for higher pay. So all they were doing was striking for higher pay, and the University of California Santa Cruz fired them. So they can continue taking problem in mind because colleges get what? State money. Who pays taxes? We do. Colleges get what? State money and they get what? Federal money. So you're going to fire people because they spoke up for not getting paid and they want more pay for the work they do and you're going to fire them? That's why it's our problem. We need to demand more from these folks. Tenure track has been declining since the 1970s. Yeah, obviously. Obviously, with all these problems, yeah. Colleges, listen to this, colleges use contingent faculty because it's cheaper. Oh, God. <laughs> Does it get any better? And listen to this. Even though millennials enrolled in college at a faster rate than any other group, right? Millennials who were in college, right? Despite those numbers, right? Colleges still did not have a tenure track for contingent faculty. There was revenue because of the high enrollment of people born in the 1980s and the 1990s. There was revenue, but colleges still didn't do it. They kept the money for people like Larry Nasser so they can go have fun and pay for private jets and foolishness like that. That's what was going on. So instead of paying people to teach, who have doctoral degrees. Just in 2018, a group of doctoral students uh, uh, demonstrated on the campus of the University of Illinois because they were taught and they were black. Because you have a PhD, you and I all know people who have PhDs and they're not working in it. They're struggling. Do you know, let me just say some of these things before I go any further so you all hear what I'm saying because this is important. Don't disparage against your brothers and sisters who sought higher education. When you meet them and greet them at family gatherings and family reunions and events like Thanksgiving and so on, and you see them in church, do not disparage against them. They thought they could make a difference by educating others. This was their purpose and their job. This is what they wanted to do. So don't feel badly that just because they're more educated than you and you probably work a factory job or you probably work in retail or something like that or in the service industry, you're going to feel bad or make them feel bad because they attained and sought to attain higher education. Don't, make, don't, don't do that. That's not what, it's not their fault. Now you understand why, because you, some of you make fun of them. Some of them had to move back home with their parents, as humbling as that was, because they could not get a tenured professorship. And some of us made fun of people. 
and make them feel better about themselves. I cannot begin to imagine how many of them have fallen into depression because they have PhDs and can't get a job. As a tenured professor, some of them end up working retail. They work as cashiers to make money to pay their bills. Some of them are Uber drivers. Yeah? Are you listening? And you sit down and snicker and laugh, not realizing that the same implicit biases that impact you is also impacting them. Now, they might have gone into education blindly, you know, sought doctoral education blindly, thinking that it would raise them above so they would never be subject to racism. But racism is pervasive because it's institutionalized. Racism is an institution. It's a, it's a body of thought, and it's an ideology that is permeated and pervasive throughout the society. It has tentacles. And it exists in every facet of life in the society. So nobody of color is above being exposed to racism or being treated with racism. If I thought that my nation of origin was going to remove me from experiencing racism, I was in for the ride of my life. Like I told you yesterday when I sat down with some folk, with people, the first thing they told, they made sure they put it out on the table. The only reason I haven't gotten funding based on my background, on what they have read about me and what they know about me and what I've done in this southeastern Michigan community, in this part of the state, in Michigan, I should be making the darn money and getting the funding when I apply for it. The only reason I don't get it is because the funding is disseminated and distributed and controlled by white people who look at me as the woman of color and refuse to give the money. Are you And you really sit back and think that I'm going to be happy with that at any stage of the game, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut so you can feel better about being racist, and you think because you control the money that I'm to shut the hell up? It ain't going to happen today, not today, not next year, not the year after, not until the day God takes me out of here. I'm still going to talk about this foolishness. They're doing it to me. Imagine then to people who feel that they have to be in lockstep with academia if they just want to live. How on God's green earth are you going to spend four years in undergraduate, then eight more years to get a doctoral degree, 12 years, a total of 12 years of education, and you come out and only get paid. Listen to this. They only get paid a few thousand dollars per course per semester. So they teach what? One or two classes per semester. You heard me, one or two classes. Sometimes they teach one class per semester, and it's on an even year basis. So what do they do the rest of the time? Well, they go work at TJ Maxx and become a cashier. Some of them just end up go get a teaching certificate so they can teach grade school. Meanwhile, their white counterpart has a teaching certificate. Meanwhile, the black person over here has a PhD in physics. But the white counterpart is teaching, earning more money, and the black person with a PhD is barely earning anything. Come on, this thing got to stop. Do you see what I'm talking about? And you all not. Can I, can I just ask you a favor? Are you seeing what, are you hearing me? Is there anybody out there? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? And I know that you are, you, you, you don't like to be reminded of it, but ignorance is not going to make this problem go away. Turning your back to it, is not, it's like you have a bill to pay. 
If you ignore the bill, does that make the bill get paid? No. The bill still has to be paid. It's still waiting to be paid. It still needs your attention. Well, that's what this problem is. This problem of implicit bias, I've been exposing it and exposing it. This is just another area in the society that implicit bias affects. And it is sad. It is distressing. This is why so many people today are depressed. Because you have to ask yourself at some point, at what point does this stop? At what point I feel like I'm fighting against the mountain? I feel like I'm pushing something that won't get out of my way. Just when you think, okay, so they say we weren't educated, so you went and got yourself an education. Too much to the chagrin of your other family members who are laughing and snickering because they didn't go and get an education. That's all that it comes down to. And then you get it, and you have to move back home with your parents or move in with a family member because you can't get paid enough to live on your own. You have to supplement your income. I, I heard of a, a professor who is, uh, uh, she's Hispanic, and she teaches like every other semester or so. In between that time, she barely makes ends meet. Barely. Meanwhile, the tenured professor is freaking 75 years old, tottering on. Or the tenured professor is enjoying all the largesse of being, of sitting with the university president. Do I hear a resounding sound? Many adjunct professors only earn only a few thousand dollars per course with no health insurance. Or any seriously, 25% of part time faculty receive some form of public assistance. You have a PhD, and guess what? Your family members laugh at you. You have a PhD, and you still need public assistance to buy food and to live. 25%. Of part-time faculty, people with doctoral degrees receive some form of public assistance. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's not that they can't find a job. It's that they won't hire you because of your color, because they still are racist. And there are still people who think that only white people should work and only white people should have money. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. We have more PhDs now than we have had at any time. I'm going to give you this. Listen to this. In 1980, in 1988, there were 4,186 persons with PhDs. In 2018, there are 10,000. So they're still creating the PhD pipeline. Some people teach because they want to teach at college level. They just want to teach. What's wrong with that? Some people continue getting more education because they're curious and they want to learn. And they're like, well, I can go teach with this. Can't find it out. After the Great Recession, doctoral degrees declined. There was a recession on, right? So universities still encourage people into doctoral programs. Yes, they did. You, you, you remember those ads? You remember the crisis of 2008, 2009? More people went back to school to get a degree than any other time. And colleges advertised unbelievably, indiscriminately. Also, you have a degree, why not come back and get a doctoral degree? They made it easy for you to get into a doctoral program because it provided the college with revenue. There was no guarantee that after after getting that PhD, 
you are going to get a job. I know people with PhDs who are still working and they don't have a title to their position, but they have a PhD, not a professor. If I were, I would have said so. No, I'm not a professor. I'm a professor of life, but I've not studied under a doctoral program. Will I ever? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I going to get a job after spending eight years studying? Is it going to be contingent? Then what's the point, dude? Right? You, I want life. How do you agree with this? Right? Listen to this. A 1990 federal law allowed the practice of requiring professors to retire at age 70. Stop laughing. Because you're all like, but isn't retirement 67 for men and 65 for women? So you have college professors who are teaching beyond the pale. That's another barrier that prevents people from getting in. Because colleges are looking at, well, we still have we still have 40 people on staff as tenured professors. They're over 70, so you're not letting anybody in young. And that there are a lot of people, a lot of young people, who should be ascribing to this and who should be getting into it. They want to teach, right? You're 27. Are you studying? Are you going to become a professor? Why not? Go for it. If you're white, they're, they're going to hire you. I can tell you that. <laughs> right. If you're black, you may want to consider your other work options. Yeah. <laughs> See if there's a, a government program that you can get into. Hmm? You might want to think about that. Right. And, and when you look at it, it, it's shameful that this nation does not recognize the value of education. Isn't it? That's what it comes down to. You have people who are educated who have the knowledge and the skill set and the knowledge base to be able to make a contribution to the life of this country, and you won't give them a chance because you keep looking at the color of their skin. You keep looking at factors that they have no control over. Like yesterday I was talking to someone. I'm just being transparent. We were talking about racism and, and social justice within the context of Detroit and the, the Detroit experience. Right, being black, and I was saying that because I wasn't born here, I did not have, I didn't grow up with the barriers and imposed limitations that implicit bias and racism imposes on people of color. So I didn't grow up hearing you can't do anything because you're black, or you can't, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or have societal. Uh, subtleties from society that say you can only go this far or if you try hard it won't happen. I didn't grow up with that. I grew up being told that you're an individual and you can go as far as you want to go. It's up to you, right? The sky's the limit. Okay. So when we were talking about it yesterday, the, the person I was speaking with, she said those kinds of issues impose baggage on people. And she says it is hard for people to walk around with all that racial baggage it prevents them from moving forward. And I had to sit there, and I, that is very true. And I said, dang, I don't have that baggage. So I was able to do things in a short time because I wasn't looking at obstacles. It's a, to be honest with you, my friends, I'm just going to be honest and upfront and totally transparent. If I had thought of these barriers, 
I would never, you'd never hear about me. You would have never heard about me. I would have never written one book. I would have never gone on radio. I would have never started a podcast on Blog Talk Radio 10 years ago. If I had thought of the barracks, I would have never started the Exodus Foundation to provide services to victims of human trafficking. I would never put myself in the public's eye to go out and talk to politicians across the spectrum and leaders in civic and social life to talk about human trafficking. I wouldn't have done that. I would not have done that. If I had thought about the barriers and thought about the social barriers and the implicit biases. No, I just looked at you. You're a person. Here's what I do. I need your support. I need your help. Are you listening to me? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and these, it, most today, the reason why so many younger people are going forward to become PhDs is because they too are not thinking about the barriers. They're thinking that the society has evolved. And that those barriers that their parents and grandparents faced would not apply to them because they're more educated than their parents and grandparents were. So they're thinking that people have evolved and are not going to judge them by the color of their skin, but it will judge them by the content of their character and what their resume says. Only to find out that implicit bias is so institutionalized and so pervasive, you literally have no control over it. You can't change it. You can't do anything about it. Isn't that sad? It is very sad. Man, alive. The stuff. And this is why when I talk about the science of epigenetics, and why uh, people of color, especially black people, are prone to so many diseases that are preventable, depression and high blood pressure and so on. These things are constantly in the back of your mind. But you have to think if you're going to go somewhere, maybe they're not going to give it to me because I'm black. I don't think like that, but there are people who say are aware that that is an issue. I'm just like, it's going to be mine or it's not going to be mine. If it is, it's going to be. That's how I look at it. But there are other people who don't have that experience. And as and by, why else would you see people with PhDs teaching uh, elementary school and middle school and teaching high school math? And I'm like, you have a PhD teaching high school? Why aren't you on a college campus? Because it is such a narrow field and controlled and dominated by ivory-towered individuals who still perpetuate the myth of racism. Check this out. I was with a group of folks yesterday, and they said something that certain schools, and I'm not going to name them, in the told uh, black boys and girls once upon a time that they could not read as well as white boys and girls. So they didn't open their schools to black students because they thought that because they're black, they could not read as well. They could not read. That's similar for a minute? Yeah. Well, those attitudes have not changed over time. They're no resident in academia with the people who make decisions about who to move up and who to move forward. They still think that because you're black, you are not capable. Maybe that's what happened to me, but I'm not seeing it. That maybe they think because I'm black, I'm not capable of running a nonprofit or understanding the needs of people and being able to figure out how to deliver those needs. This probably explains why when I'm sitting in front of them and they ask me what I do and how I do it, 
maybe that's why when I'm explaining it, I always wonder why they sit there looking so stupefied. The look on their faces. I'm like, are they not getting it? No, it's because their implicit bias is working overtime and dictating to them that, wait, she's actually speaking the truth and saying it. How does she know how to do that? She's black. She shouldn't be able to do that. I'm still not going to help her because I have this reservation that says that black people can't think like that. I'm beginning to understand why black people vote, are voting for Joe Biden. I'm beginning to understand it. As much as he's been a career politician for a while, and anybody, if you've been around the spectrum, you're going to have issues because the society has evolved and changed over time, right? But I'm beginning to understand why. I think they're looking at him like he did serve a black president, and he never spoke against him or spoke out against him or not supported him publicly or not dis- or disrespected him. For that reason, that's why black people are supporting Joe Biden. Right? Because I'm trying to figure it out myself. Good morning to you, too. Right? I'm not professionally engaged in acting. I am an observer because there are too many there are too many black folks around me and Hispanic folks and people of color who have doctoral degrees who are not tenured professors. And then you meet a, a, a young white person or, you know, who is, who has a master's degree and is in training, but who is an adjunct professor and who has more than one classes per semester. I met one person once and she was like, I'm so busy. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have a whole rostrum of classes, but I'm like, I know people with PhDs who can't get in. <laughs> Right? That's how I, I began to, it first came to my attention about four years ago, four or five years ago, and I was like, there's got to be a reason why this is happening, because I refuse to believe that there's got to be something confined to the individual. No. When it is pervasive and institutional like that and has broader application, it's not individual. Right? Yeah, something to think about as we move forward, Yeah. So by the end of the week, we might see, uh, what's his name, Bernie Sanders capitulating, certainly before they, uh makes no sense to go forward to the debate now, does it? Might as well capitulate and just shape up the, the race to the White House to see who is going to be either or, right, and see what happens out of that. But I'm telling you the honest truth. Bernie Sanders, one of the reasons why he was so popular is because he actually had a proposal to hold colleges and universities accountable so that they would employ more people and create the tenure track and use it. But like every idea that Bernie has, Bernie Sanders has good ideas, but they're not executable and are not going to be executable because they're roadblocks, right? They're roadblocks. The college lobby is very powerful. They will pay hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to get what they want in Congress. So even if Bernie Sanders wants that, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It's just like Medicare for All, not executable, never going to happen. Ain't going to happen. you got to understand something. When people talk about Medicare for All, I'm like, are they thinking economies of scale? Think about that. So you, you see universal health care happening 
in England and France and so on, and Canada. But think, if people live in those countries, it's mudger and much more affordable to implement it in those countries. We have almost 400 million people living here. Canada barely has a population of what? Do they have 100 million people in Canada? I don't think so. They would probably go crazy if they do, right? Hey. So when you hear people espouse ideas like that, I'm like, is anybody thinking of the sheer numbers? How could we do that? Exactly. Moderate Republicans are not going to vote for Bernie because of his, yeah, because they view it as socialism because we have this distorted view of socialism anyway. But we think it's socialism. If you want to know what socialism looks like, look at Russia. You, this morning it was on the news that Vladimir Putin changed the constitution of Russia so he could be in power until 2036. I don't think he's going to live that long, but he changed the constitution. So he would be president into perpetuity. That's socialism. Having having policies that impact a larger number of population that benefits them is not socialism. And the Republicans need to shut up about that. Go to the hospital right now and to be tested. If you go to the doctor to be tested for coronavirus, under the modifications done to Obamacare or whatever universal health care we call it, affordable health care, under the modifications done to you and I are going to be on the hook for the cost of the test. If you have insurance, it's $1,000. Without insurance, it's $3,200. The Republicans are directly responsible for removing that provisio under affordable health care. The reason that states are rushing to call it a state of emergency is that when people do get affected, because it's a state of emergency, they will get federal funding that will pay for it. So you walk into a government health care facility and they will treat you for it and the hospital will get paid and be reimbursed by the state. Are you listening to what I'm saying? That's not socialism. That's good practice. However, I do agree that based on economies of scale, some of these things that Bernie thought about, they're hard to implement. They're unexecutable. And, and frankly, we're never going to have free college education because the people who give out student loans are wealthy and they're billionaires and they make a lot of money from the interest payment. They're going to lobby Congress and, the, and senators to make sure that we never have that reality. So some of these problems, they just sound amazing, but they're not executable. And you have people believing that that stuff is real. Exactly. And that's true. Moderate, you're right. Moderate Republicans, they will, they do want Trump gone, and they will vote for Biden because they think he will listen to both sides. He will listen to both sides. Right? So, so they are aware of this, and they're going to they're gonna move in that direction shortly. You're going to see that shortly. It might happen before November. Watch. Just, there's going to be a move that you're going to see that's going to direct the race, and it will make us see exactly what's going to happen after the November elections. Things are shaping up that way, right? But I kid you not. You know, we have to, we have to sit down, I think, in the long term. I, recently, I'm just going to tell you this. Recently, I was engaging with a politician on my Instagram feed. His daughter, he's engaged politically. His daughter sits on the city council in Detroit, 
And he posted a picture of her speaking at the Bernie rally in Flint. And I said to him, and seriously? And he was like, well, it's freedom of speech. I said, you worried about freedom of speech? <laughs> what is your goal? And I said, this is why I don't bother with y'all. Because <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't look at the big picture. You're just looking at how you feel. Now I feel like you're not looking at the big picture. I'm like, man, you nice. Otherwise, the Republicans are going to cream you. It's just crazy, right? It's just totally crazy. And I, I, I feel like we're at this point where this is in, 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 when we move forward after this, we're going to look back at these last four years, and it's going to look like a moment in time that either we have lost our minds or what were we thinking. That's how it's going to shape up to be. And especially with coronavirus stuff. This stuff is, where did this come from, y'all? China. Don't say I told you. China did it. Ended up here. With the virus. How? I got to go. Right? Stay tuned. Go to harrykamick.com for more information about me. If this is your first time, as well as listen to more of my podcast on iHeartRadio. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, anywhere your favorite podcast platform is. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much. I gotta go. They're giving me the wrap signal. Be blessed, everybody. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.